0: So today's ad slot isn't sponsored. Instead, I want to tell you about a charity I work with who could really do with some extra help right now. I'd like you to contemplate for a moment about how you feel when you're really hungry, or if you have a child, how they behave when they're hungry. Terrible, right? Hunger affects everything, behavior, mood, concentration, ability to learn. A hungry person and especially a hungry child isn't anywhere near their best self. Magic Breakfast provides free, nutritious breakfasts to over 1,000 primary, secondary, and ASL special educational needs schools across the UK. Every school day, they offer breakfast to up to 200,000 children. But it's also not just about the food. I've visited their schools and their clubs also serve as a place for children to come together, get support from teachers, catch up on homework, relax with friends, even get their hair braided. How needed is this charity? Sadly, very, and more so than ever. According to government statistics, before COVID, around 1.7 million children in the UK were living with food insecurity, meaning that they're at risk of hunger in the morning. That number is now looking closer to 4 million. And of course, with the cost of living crisis, it's just rising. I volunteer with Magic Breakfast. I'm on their development board and I know the money goes where it's needed to supporting children as well as lobbying for policy change to encourage the government to step in. Magic Breakfast actually always say that their ultimate aim is to make themselves obsolete, to end child hunger for good. If you have the ability to support a hungry child, please do check them out. It's magicbreakfast.com. Thank you. <music>
1: I think you know that that should be if we're talking about priorities it should sort of be your your number one priority beyond anything should be like what does make you happy and it's fine if that's watching Netflix (laughs) you know it's fine if that's spending more time in bed you know I, I think um in this hustle culture I think everyone feels like hobbies that aren't enriching or you know sort of culturally enriching or or sort of money-making are inherently bad. And, you know, quite often, I definitely see it around the idea of reading. I see people say that, you know, reading is is somehow more rewarding and and more of a proper hobby than, you know, streaming TV or watching a rom-com. And I, I totally disagree with that. And in fact, like, in terms of my writing, I'd say.
0: Welcome to Priorities. The podcast about the things in life that really matter. I'm your host, journalist and coach Lily Silverton, and each week, along with a roster of incredible guests, I'll be exploring how priorities inform and transform our lives, sharing mindset tips, strategies, tools, and inspiration to help you prioritize your own life. We'll be covering what we think is important and unimportant, what we'd like to work on a little more, and the moments that changed our priorities and lives forever. I hope you Enjoy. My guest today is journalist and author, Bobby Palmer. Bobby wrote the Saturday Times best-selling novel, Isaac and the Egg, which takes a moving and memorable look at grief and men's mental health through a very unique and really quite funny lens. As a journalist, Bobby's written for publications such as GQ, Esquire, Men's Health and Cosmopolitan, and he's also the co-host of the podcast Book Chat with Pandora Sykes. Bobby is currently writing his second book. Welcome, Bobby.
1: Hello, how are you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Um, a bit a bit wet because I've just been walking the dog in the pouring down rain, but happy to be inside.
0: Mm, it's really, really pissing it down today.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: um, so the first question I ask my guests is, do you have a morning routine? And I imagine that maybe yours is walking your dog. Is that... a
1: yes i mean i it's the weird thing about being um a freelancer and being self-employed is i feel like you like to think that you have a morning routine but i i really don't you know there are the nice thing about it is there are mornings where i really don't feel like getting out of bed so i'll stay in bed but you know i don't have to start work at nine on the dot but um yeah if if i have a morning routine it's walk the dog have a very strong black coffee um and sit down and write first thing because I I do all of my best writing in the first sort of like two or three hours of the day and and I'm I'm spent by the afternoon and I know I know a lot of writers who who will be like you know I'll, I'll sit down at seven in the evening and do all my all my writing then but I find that very first thing is is sort of my writing time and then afternoons and stuff that like admin emails the boring the boring bits.
0: I'm totally the same. I definitely do my best work in the morning by late afternoon. I'm for all intents and purposes useless.
1: Yes, uh, same.
0: Uh, do you find it easy to sit down and write first thing or do you feel you have to make yourself commit to doing your best work in the morning because you know that you're going to be sharpest then?
1: <laughs> I I find it easy. I, I, I feel very lucky that I get to um, be an author as a job because it, it's a hobby As as far, as far as I'm concerned. Like if I wasn't, paid to do it I would still be doing it in my spare time so you know I I'm I'm not someone who advocates working seven day weeks and you know I, I feel like burnout culture is a very real thing but in my case because I enjoy doing what I do so much you know even on a Saturday or Sunday morning if I'm at home I'll feel quite weird if I don't you know sit down and, and write for a couple of hours in the morning it's almost like a like a meditation it's the same you know the the same way i've never played sport or anything but i feel like i get the same enjoyment you know I, i i retreat from the world around me and and just do something that i i sort of purely enjoy so i don't actually find find writing itself or sitting down to write very difficult but i find a lot of the other stuff around it difficult you know sticking to deadlines and editing what i've what i've written in that on that morning
0: so you find like the initial flow state very
1: easy yes yeah the 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 planning of a new book or a new story and the first draft are are just like fun just so much fun because you're invent you know you're you're, you're making up a new world it's it's just like being a kid again and then and then you know the 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 boring grown-up stuff is is having to make it make sense and having to make it something that people will actually want to read
0: Yeah, it's that initial thing where you get it all down and you think it's the best thing ever and then you come to edit. You're like, this is the worst thing I've ever written.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think I've ever written anything that where I haven't at one time thought it's the best thing that any human being ever has ever written and also at one point thought that it was like not not fit to be even like thrown in the bin. It needs to be burnt. No one can ever see this.
0: Same, every time. Yeah. Well, clearly Isaac and the Egg does not fall into that. Burnt in the bin category. Uh, I loved it. I read it over Christmas, beginning of January now I was talking. and I really, really loved it. I thought it was unique and funny and weird and unexpected and emotional. Um, it really hit me over and over again in lots of ways, lots of questions about identity, obviously a lot around grief and yeah. uh, mental health. How'd you come up with the idea?
1: It's funny. I there there are sort of two answers for this. There's like the the very you know high minded literary answer, and then there's the the actual answer. The the high minded literary answer is that I really, I really admire literature that um, tackles grief in a sideways way, especially when it it almost brings grief in as a character. So, two books that were very influential to me in writing it were uh, "Grief Is the Thing with Feathers" by Max Porter and. Uh, a monster calls by Patrick Ness, both of which have grief as as sort of a monstrous character. Um, so the initial idea really was, you know, what if you had grief as a character in a book, but it was a comedy slapstick sidekick, like a little a little creature. The actual answer is that it was uh, around the time that um, Baby Yoda was a was a craze, um, and the real idea I had was. You know, I was watching The Mandalorian, the show with Baby Yoda, and I, I just thought this would be so good if you if you did a really, really serious story that tackled some really serious themes, but Baby Yoda was just there the whole time. <laughs> so uh, it, it all started with Baby Yoda. And then I think what was funny is when I started writing the book, it became something totally different to what I thought it would be, because I thought it would be like a you know a black comedy about an alien and a man. And it actually became, you know, it's not sci-fi or anything like that it, it really became an exploration of of men's mental health of, of male loneliness and and almost the idea of the um the egg you know the, the, the creature in it didn't become it ended up not being the most important part of the story and i you know i think it was really i was really happy that it went the way it went because it became something that i'm you know i'm proud of and something that i don't feel like i've seen a lot of you know in in, in sort of in bookshops you know I, I don't feel like i read a lot of young men's accounts of, of their own mental health especially ones that aren't really 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 literary yeah i mean that that was that was where it came from um initially and then you know they're, they're obviously like i i think it came naturally to me to write about young men a young man a bit being a young man but also you know my background is in um Journalism, and I, you know, I've done a lot, of, a lot of work for Men's Health, GQ, and stuff like that. So I think it was, it was a fairly natural world to inhabit. And I actually, being a journalist before, I, I, I thought writing fiction would be quite a strange experience, but it, it, it felt quite natural once I'd, once I'd started writing. Really. Well, all is grounded in reality, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think you know, I, I often get asked about this book specifically, like is it autobiographical and at its core no you know I, I i had it's about someone experiencing this this huge grief that i i haven't personally experienced but beyond that a lot of the main character isaac a lot of his insecurities a lot of his fears a lot of his quirks um all the all the worst bits of him are are, are me you know like and and it, it was quite a um introspective writing process because because I wrote the whole thing during uh, lockdown one, you know, the first COVID lockdown. So it was a really, you know, me at my dining table, uh, not able to to go anywhere out, outside my house, just sort of inside my own head writing this book. So it was um yeah, it was it, like earlier, it was a it was a meditation almost.
0: A cathartic experience
1: yeah definitely definitely and um i think what i think what writing is i think you know without sounding too corny if you're writing something you you clearly have a have a need to to get it out um and i think every i you know i've just i'm just finishing up my second book and i'm starting to work on an idea for a third and i think every single one you know you 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 can look at the component parts you can look at the characters and say like well none of this is real these are made up characters but you know every character you make you fill with some of your own thoughts so I think if you made a composite of all the characters I write you know that would be all of my uh, fears and hopes and dreams and and problems or, you know all, all sort of if you mashed them all together you'd, you'd have a, a good picture of what's going on inside my brain
0: has your outlook on yourself or the world around you changed as you've moved from being a journalist to an author
1: yeah, I think so. I think the publishing world is a is a kinder world than the uh the world of journalism. So it's it's been it's been really nice. This sort of community you find in being in being an author is really nice. Um but I think that probably the biggest way that my outlook has changed is there's there's nowhere to hide when you're you know when you're when you're writing a book and it's your name on the cover. So much work goes into it by, by so many people and i'm lucky to have a a great agent great you know editors publicists stuff like that but um when it's your name on the cover it's it's your thing and then you know everyone's going to read it and and attribute it to you so i think you it's made me braver it's made me develop a thicker skin but i think it's also made me just happier to talk about things that i might not have talked about before and i think as as a man that is um i feel fortunate that that it has because I think when I when I started Isaac and the Egg especially it 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 almost pushed back against me. I knew that it needed to be a um I knew that it needed to go deeper into into the feelings of of the main character. He's he's lost his wife at a very young age. He's he's in a really, really dark place. But when I first wrote it it was quite light. It was it was as I as I said it was a comedy. Um And there was a lot more, a lot more egg than Isaac, you could say. Um, and it was in writing it and in the latter stages of writing it that I realized, you know, I, I needed to bear my soul a bit more and, and I needed to explore things that I felt like people might, I I, I think I was worried that people might attack me for it or, or people might say, you know, what right do you have to, to write this story? Um you've got this wrong those sorts of things i think it, it was a real insecurity and i had to take that risk and then, and the most amazing thing about it being published is i haven't you know no one said that to me that i've had some really amazing messages and the nicest messages i've had are, are, are from people who've experienced quite serious grief or who've been in quite dark places and have said that the book has really helped them and you know as an author that's the the best possible thing you could ever ask for so mm-hmm. i think um just not, not being not being afraid. If you if you know you want to write something, writing it but but doing it sensitively, doing it in a way where you're you know, you're putting in the work, you're 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 not just glossing over someone else's experience. I think that's something I've I've definitely learned as a as a first time author.
0: If I'd asked you sort of five, ten years ago, um, whether you would see yourself writing a book about grief and mental health a fiction book about grief and mental health, what would you have said?
1: Uh, if you'd asked me, if you'd asked me five years ago, if I saw myself writing a fiction book nonstop, I would have said no way. Um, yeah. definitely. Yeah, definitely not, a, not a serious one. <laughs> um, I, I really didn't know that I was going to be a novelist. I, I, I always, since I was a teenager, I've, I've loved journalism. I, I, I was a huge lover of, of magazines, especially um sort of men's magazines so GQ, Esquire, Men's Health those were all you know I I read all of them every month and I that was the world I, I wanted to inhabit I, I just thought it was so um aspirational and so cool and and as a teenage boy I think it was just like you know that's what I want to do I want to be the editor of GQ <laughs> um so you know I I always wanted to do journalism I I, I went straight into I went to, I studied English at uni I went straight into journalism from there um, and didn't really pause to, to think. And if I had, I, I think I would have said that, um, books, fiction books, especially were written by people smarter than me. <laughs> you know, I thought it was like, you had to be this, uh, shaman type, you know, with, with this, this like amazing creative knowledge. And, and I, I, I think you had to almost be sort of born different to, to write fiction. Um, what really changed was i um I lost my job, so i I went freelance you, you know I, in hindsight getting into the world of magazines at the at the time when pretty much the entire world stopped reading magazines ended up not being the smartest move so yeah I, I I went freelance, I had a lot more free time and i I started to actually be able to think about what I wanted to do and I had an idea for a book and I started writing it and from from the first day i started writing fiction i i knew that was all i wanted to do like all i wanted to do um and it's still all i wanted to do you know that was that was a, a few years ago now um and yeah i think i think the realization i had was you know it's not it's not smarter people who who write fiction it's the, the people who end up having books published are the people who sit down and write a book and finish it because you know it's it's a mammoth it's a mammoth task to, to write, a, a even Ice and the Eggs not that long, but it's 70,000 words. And that's a lot of words to write, especially when you don't know if anyone's going to you know, like it when you finished it. Um, but yeah, no, the idea of being a novelist would have been, would have been totally alien to me a few years ago. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what I'm doing in a few years' time.
0: It's that just putting in the work. I mean, lots of people have variously said it at points, but there maybe isn't anything such a thing most of the time as inspiration. Normally you have to start the work in order to be inspired. And it yeah, applies with writing, sort of the more that you're writing, the more that the ideas come.
1: I think this idea of like, this idea of being a creative and it, it being some sort of sacred thing where, you know, you're you're born a creative genius. I, I think that that is a really unhealthy outlook. I think it's a it does a disservice to a to a to the privilege that so many creative people have, myself included. You know, I I, I was lucky enough to be able to have the time to um, write a book, <laughs> uh, and you know, I I was in a position where I I had these freelance contacts, so I could I could you know earn the money as a freelancer, but also you know I didn't have a full time job, so I could I could fit it in. You know, I wasn't I wasn't worried about making next month's rent. So, you know, th- th- there's, there's privilege, but also I think, yeah, hard work. The, the idea that people who write novels or people who, you know, create great works of art, just sort of sit down and dash it off. And it's because they're, they're, you know, more brilliant than other people is, is just a, a sort of weirdly widely accepted lie. And I think everyone uh you know everyone who's who's remotely capable of writing has a book in them it's mm-hmm. just can they you know or will they be able to sit down and and write and write and write and then edit and edit and edit and rewrite and rewrite and re- it, it it just takes so much work but you know i think people pick up a book and they read it and they think that's you you almost think like that that's how it was when it first was written down and it's not and it's not you know and it's not the work of one person either it's you know a book is a it takes years to to get to that point and it takes the input of so many people and it takes so many rewrites. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, that, that is something that I'm, I'm quite, I am quite keen to dispel the myth of, of creative genius, because I think it, it can act as a, as a real, um, a real boundary to people, people actually trying to, to do this sort of thing. Because, you know, I, that was, that was how I felt about writing book before I, before I started.
0: Yeah, it can be really discouraging.
1: Yeah, definitely. Especially to people without the especially to people who feel like they don't fit the mold of of, you know, a classic um author or artist. You know, I think um if you feel like you don't have a seat at the table, if you feel like you can't write a book, then you're you're probably less likely to try. And I, I think that's, you know, not a nice, um, not a nice way to be uh well, it's not very encouraging, is it?
0: Mm. Well, then I think that's very helpful advice for anyone that's listening that might think they have an idea, but wouldn't know where to start. I think Bobby's advice is just write.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I, the nice thing about writing is all you need is a, you don't even need a laptop, a pen and paper,
0: <laughs> mm. a
1: pencil and paper.
0: I feel like this brings us quite well onto the theme of the podcast, which is priorities. Because to some extent, in order to just get that book out, you have to make it a priority, right? yes what matters the most to you does it matter more that i write this book or i pursue any of the other options that are available to us
1: i also think in in terms of if you're making writing a priority it doesn't mean you have to prioritize it over um having a life you know (laughs) you don't it's not like if you have a full-time job and you want to write a book you have to get home and um sort of never watch tv and and you know shut yourself in a in a dark room and dash out thousands of words i think you can write a thousand words a day and and have a book in a few months have a first draft in a few months i think it's really it's it's consistency over over quantity or quality it's just you know if you do a bit a little bit every single day it really you know you can get quite far down that path quite quickly it's
0: like with anything
1: yeah, exactly. Since, but it's you know,
0: you don't want to be doing something
1: once a 10, month. Ten thousand hours, they say, right? Ten thousand yeah. hours of everything and you're of anything and you're an expert, I might watch that. But yeah. I think I
0: <laughs> And the little and often, because it's also a way not to get discouraged because a lot of the time I see it with like goals when I run workshops and people set these absolutely huge goals and they're like, I'm going to smash this new habit and I'm going to do an hour of meditation in the morning and then I'm going to do half an hour of yoga and then I'm going to go for a run and I'm just going to get up at 5am and I'm going to journal and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Let's see how long that lasts. And it's like three days in and they're they're spent because it's really hard to build that much time in whereby if you say, okay, I'm going to do five minutes a day of something that's good for my mental health, then that's a much more sustainable approach, I
1: guess. Yeah. Yeah. And a much healthier, I think, you know, quite often you can set, set goals like that. And, and even if you are doing things that make you feel like a a better, more rounded person, you can be a lot more miserable because you feel the pressure of, of fulfilling them.
0: Yeah. And you have to sacrifice other things, like sleep or time with family or whatever it is
1: yeah yeah
0: so what's the overall balance of health and happiness there
1: and i think you know that that should be in, in if we're talking about priorities it should sort of be your your number one priority beyond anything should be like what does make you happy and it's fine if that's watching netflix <laughs> you know it's fine if that's you know spending more time in bed you know i i think um in this hustle culture i think everyone feels like hobbies that aren't enriching or you know sort of culturally enriching or or sort of money making are inherently bad and you know quite often i definitely see it around the idea of reading i see people say that you know reading is is somehow more rewarding and and more of a proper hobby than you know streaming tv or or you know watching a rom-com and i I totally disagree with that and in fact like in terms of my writing i'd say isaac and the egg especially is more influenced by uh you know shit films essentially than than by than by great literature you know it's it's um it's got a lot of rom-coms and and sort of 80s sci-fi stitched into it so i think i think yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I, don't think there's sort of a cultural hierarchy. I think you can just whatever makes you happy is is enriching in its in its own way.
0: Mm. My older brother loves video games, and we had this argument as a family years ago over whether re, whether video games were just as enriching as reading a book.
1: In some ways, they're they're more enriching because you control the world. You're you're in you know i love video games i i and i think they're. i think they are a real form of meditation because it allows you to actually be someone in in fact there's almost more of a parallel between books and video games than there is between books and films because films and tv sort of lay it all on the on the table for you they say like this is what everything looks like and and this is how things are happening whereas when you read a book you go inside someone's head and when you play a video game you go inside someone's head so i think you could definitely argue if you were doing a hierarchy, you could argue, you know, books and video games at the top and <laughs> films and TV beneath. But I said there's no hierarchy. So You said there's no, no hierarchy. So so okay. yeah.
0: So Bobby, what are some of the priorities that make you happy?
1: So um despite what I just said, reading is is one of my one of my biggest priorities. I think in in whatever you do, you have to Sort of put your money where your mouth is, and I write books. So I would. It's not even that I feel like an inauthentic writer if I didn't read a lot, but it's like I'm a better writer for for reading a lot, and especially reading a lot of contemporary fiction. You you have a lot of authors. <clears throat> you have a lot of authors who'll say, "Oh, I don't really read modern books," you know. "Oh, I I only I I much prefer the classics. I much prefer you know, books from the." you know nineteenth century or, or whatever and and I find that um quite alarming when people say that because it's like well you're not writing then you're writing now uh it's there's a snobbery in that I think basically and i I, I, I try to read as much contemporary fiction because I want to know what people are enjoying and I, I I want to know what my my peers are are doing and and I think you know i I, I try to read across the entire spectrum. I read I read a lot of literary fiction, but I also read a lot of commercial fiction. Um which are to be honest two labels which don't really mean anything anyway because the the crossover is enormous. Um but yeah I, I, I just I try to read a lot both for my job, you know, if if I always find find I still find it weird saying job uh being an author because it doesn't feel like a job. But um I try and read for work and I try and read because it's when I'm most content. I think, you know, I, I, I find great solace in reading and I always have, you know, the, the sort of running joke in my family is I, I come from a family of, um, huge football fans, Luton town, uh, season ticket holders. And my, dad for one one or two ill-fated years got me a season ticket to to go to the games with him and I used to I used to take a book to every game and spend the whole game reading um and I think after after one or two seasons my dad said you don't have to come if you don't want and I was like yeah I'll just sit at home and read instead um so yeah I think reading's always been a a a, a, a bit of a meditation for me a a, a, a way of of finding peace. So I try, especially now to, to actually portion out time to read. And I also, this is another benefit of of being a freelancer of of working for myself is I'll actually treat reading like work sometimes. So like I won't punish myself if it's uh, two in the afternoon and I'll go, I'm going to go read for an hour before I I go and carry on work because it it is really helpful for, for what I do for a living.
0: What's a great book you've read recently?
1: Well, interestingly, talking about um, video games was making me think about Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabriel Servin, which came out last year. And I mean, it's it, everyone, everyone loves it. It's it's so good. And that's that's a book about two video game developers um, and their sort of friendship over the years and the, the video games they create together. And I think it's a it's a brilliant book because it does almost exactly what we were saying, which is it it unites those worlds of, of literature and video games, but you don't have to be someone who's really into gaming to read it. It's, it's a, it's really just a, a great love story. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, what else have I read recently? Um, I do it at the moment. I'm doing a lot of, a lot of reading for, um, minor Pandora's podcast. Cause we, um, I should probably say what that is. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: so you've got so, a podcast yeah. with Pandora Sykes, who is on last. Yes, week, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we we have a podcast called Book Chat, um, and the whole idea behind it is that we we talk. We each bring a book each month, and we we chat about it. But the books, uh, the prerequisite is that the books have to be older than two years, uh, old more than two years old. Um, because I I feel like both both of us existing in the books world we we feel a lot of pressure to read um not even what's just come out but what what is coming out you know we 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 get a lot of proofs of but I've got, I've got so many books coming out in coming out this year that i feel like i should be reading and, and so many books that i didn't read last year that i feel like i should be reading and we wanted to just create this space where you can enjoy books that aren't like hugely hyped right now um so that's been a really Really rewarding experience. I, I'm, I'm currently reading Wuthering Heights, which is one of my favorite books of all time. But not something before we started the podcast. I I probably would have picked up and and read again. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. I I, I love it. I think Pandora hates it, so that'll be an interesting episode. But um, yeah. And then you know, over over Christmas, I read uh, White Teeth by Zadie Smith and convenience store woman by Saka Murata so that's only a few years old but that was our, our last episode so yeah I, I I think in terms of reading across the spectrum I think it's it's worth saying that I also do try and everyone should try and, and read stuff that's like a few years old because I feel like people read what's really popular right now or what they feel like they should have read you know war and peace or uh, Dickens but but there's almost a neglect of books that came out 10 years ago, um, which sort of had the, the heights died down and they haven't made it into the sort of hallowed halls of the classics yet. So, um, yeah, just having a, a varied, a varied diet of, of reading, I find really rewarding because then you, you get a very varied picture of, of lives and experiences. Um, and I think, you know, it's the, it's the classic cliche of reading but it's such an escape that i think um always reading the same thing is less of an escape mm.
0: do you read magazines
1: no, no not anymore which is really funny I, I i basically i don't i don't write i don't i don't do a lot of journalism anymore and almost as soon as i almost as soon as i started writing fiction i well, actually, no, that's a lie because I, I needed to make money. Uh, as soon as I got a book deal, I, I stopped. I was fortunate enough to, to stop seeking out a lot of journalism work, and as soon as I did that, I, I stopped reading magazines. Really, and I think it's it's not so much that I don't like reading magazines; I I still do. It's just that the time I was reading magazines before, I now spend reading books, and and you know, I I much prefer to read books voraciously than than read magazines. But I've never it's weird, like as someone who aspired to be a journalist, I've never been a great reader of like long form journalism or anything like that. i get bored really quickly. So people would send me articles and I'll go, oh great. Yeah, I'll read the first three paragraphs and then I'll skip to the end. Um, which is terrible. I shouldn't I shouldn't admit that. And I don't know I don't know why. But I think I i I think it's the same reason I don't read non nonfiction books really. Like I I'm like a, a a child at heart, and I need I need there to be like a story and 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 you know main characters and like who's the goody and who's the baddie and where's the happy ending uh, and you know even even in um, very serious books I feel like you still get that that sense of narrative which I I struggle to to find in even in really good narrative nonfiction.
0: Mm like my daughter who needs uh stories to to do her numbers
1: <laughs> yes yeah exactly that's that's how I describe myself <laughs> and I write everything in crayon as well
0: yeah perfect actually <laughs> just pictures that you've uh, created yeah. yeah
1: um
0: what's another priority
1: for you um a, a, a huge priority probably my biggest priority in terms of my mental health in terms of my sort of like sense of happiness is uh spending time outside um i feel like a lot of people felt that very keenly during covid um myself included but really it, it i've always really liked walking not not necessarily you know going on great hikes although i i, I do like that you know I'm, but i'm not like a, a mountaineer or anything i just i like walking around you know i've always liked um if i'm in london and i'm four or five tube stops away and it's an hour walk i'll always take the walk because i just find it very i I feel very content when i'm walking and i also have a lot of i was about to say have a lot of thoughts which sounds like a very emo but um have a lot of ideas and and you know work through a lot of things both both professionally and personally when i'm when i'm walking around and i think it's um I think being outside, whether that's in the city or in the countryside where I, where I live now is really, really enriching. And, and I now have a dog, so I am forced to walk for, he's very energetic. So I'm forced to walk for at least an hour every day. And it's brilliant. I love it. You know, I, I love getting out and, and just sort of, breathing in the fresh air, you know, I've got, I've got quite into birds as well. So, you know, now I'm, I'm like trying to kind of become an expert on birds and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm really becoming at one with nature, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think spending time outside is, is, um, probably the biggest priority for me, definitely in terms of how I feel. And I, I feel very cooped up now if I, if I don't sort of get out on a day.
0: Well, if it's really bad weather like it is today do you just get out yeah.
1: And- yeah yeah i i i like i you know i like going out in the in the rain i think it's i think it always feels like a more miserable thing when you're inside looking at it and then when you you go outside and then you 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 know you feel like a the main character in a film when you're walking around in the rain I feel like you're a sort of Julia Roberts, or I should I should say something more like Wordsworth? <laughs> <But> yeah, no. <laughs> I went straight to. No I, I went straight to Notting Hill.
0: <laughs> My husband always says, "No such thing as bad weather, just uh, inappropriate clothing."
1: Yes, there you go. The weather outside is weather.
0: Mm-hmm. What's another priority for you?
1: Um, I. D- so I don't want to say I don't want to say the words "looking on the bright side" and I don't want to say the words "finding the silver lining," but um, that but here we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, you know, I I like to think of myself as an optimist, and I I've always I think it's sort of baked into my nature. So I I feel lucky that I am. I have a a, a sort of great bounce back ability. So when bad things happen, I I'm I feel like I I can bounce back quite quickly and and just be quite happy. Um and I've I've always I felt you know I feel like I've had quite a happy a happy life and I feel I feel very fortunate to have a career that I love doing um and a roof over my head and a dog who sometimes uh loves me back. Uh so you know I I I try and see the positives in every situation and I, I I I try and always have a smile on my face because you know um I think that's that's the way to to live life and de- definitely moving moving out of the city and the the book coming out and and being able to to write books I I feel just generally positive and like I don't sort of dwell on the on the the little the little bad things although you know i say that and then uh <laughs> you should you should see me if if my you know if my dog won't come inside or if if i i you know smash a cup or spill some water and then i'm i'm suddenly the least positive person in the world so it's very easy for me to say when i'm when i'm sitting in my uh nice warm house talking to you uh to say i'm always a positive person but i think i definitely strive to be positive as possible as I, as, as often as I can. Hmm.
0: Do you have any tools that you use? Do you have any like thought processes or anything you work through? Or do you feel like it's comes very naturally to you full stop?
1: I think something that that didn't always come naturally to me. And I think this is, is, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm wary of generalizing too much about men because I do it a lot, but I, I, from my own experience and and i think from quite a lot of people's experiences is is men don't talk very easily um and something i've found has massively helped in terms of my general outlook is just voicing when i'm when i'm feeling uh angry or sad or you know i i have a, a tendency towards um anxiety i i get very um anxious about about things not necessarily in, in a, a nervous way not in a, a social anxiety way but i i worry about things beyond my control uh i worry that um you know what i'm i'm not good enough at what i'm what i'm doing i worry i worry that I, you know i'm a, a bad writer or a hack <laughs> um, and i think just talking to my my wife nina is is uh, a brilliant listener and and someone who is very very emotionally intelligent in a way that i haven't always been so i think just talking has really helped you know being able to say like i feel anxious and i don't know why or i feel anxious about this thing and it doesn't really make sense and then talking it through i feel a million times better so i think between that and and being able to sort of walk around like a like a sort of old-fashioned fluner. Um, I feel like between the two of those, yeah, it, it's, I, I, I feel happy quite a lot of the time at the moment. I think it's, it's nice to just be able to say like, I'm happy, but I am. And I, I don't feel like we stop enough and and say like, I'm very happy right now. You know, you'd say, you'd say to someone, oh, I'm feeling sad, um, or I'm feeling stressed, but, um, yeah, I feel like I maybe, maybe that's a good Priority is to, to when you're feeling happy, turn around to whoever you're with and say, like, I'm very happy.
0: Mm. And as we were doing that before, it's that repetition thing where it becomes more natural if you're inclined to notice it. I talk yes. a lot in coaching because generally when we're stressed or we're worried, we then think about how stressed we are and talk about how stressed we are or how worried we are. And then that reinforces it. So it becomes a little... Self-fulfilling prophecy or mantra that mm. we're repeating in our minds over and over again. And yeah, our minds don't know the difference between what we're saying to them versus what's really happening in the world. So
1: it becomes
0: yeah. a really entrenched belief.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So likewise, yeah. I guess if you're we're looking out for those little moments of joy, happiness, or big moments, maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I think it's also it's also when you're feeling stressed especially because i i I do get very stressed um especially when things aren't sort of going my way uh in in, especially when i'm writing and i you know i can't i really can't crack what i'm doing i i get very very stressed and i think it's about finding the things that stop you feeling stressed it's quite when you're in that situation especially when you're feeling quite burnt out as well it's it's hard to recognize when something's making you feel better and i think it's you know i i have it with with walking the dog it's it's about going oh i actually feel better than i did half an hour ago or an hour ago so maybe i should do this more you know exercise is such a such a cliche one but i you know i find that that is really great for my mental health when i'm feeling really really stressed or anxious you know just going and getting my heart rate up um I will then feel like I've pounded out some of the some of the misery.
0: What I'm hearing is that you have a really good connection with your internal reality, with whatever's going on for you. So it sounds like you're very good at, you know, identifying what's happening and then taking steps. Not all. I think
1: I, I think that comes with being a writer. You know, I think you. I, I wouldn't have said I, I was always like that um definitely not when i was working a full-time job i i i i think working for yourself can be really stressful but it can also mean that you're very much in touch with your even down to your own rhythms you know like if you if you work better in the afternoon you can take it easier in the mornings and and like we said if you work better in the mornings you can take it easier in the afternoons You you don't have to fill a nine to five because you do more productive work in the hours you are working when you're working for yourself because um you're not just you know punching someone else's timesheet and, and, and making them profits. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't say I've always been that good at at understanding myself, but I definitely feel like writing and, you know, sort of exploring the minds of other characters who might be yourself uh, through the writing process definitely makes you more, in tune in tune with your own brain um it's almost a a form of of therapy and i wouldn't i wouldn't advise people just you know write a book instead of going to therapy but it, you know it is therapeutic um writing and i think i think also just growing up your, your priorities change and i i do a lot more of the the little things that that Make me happy now, so I, I, you know, I, I drink less, but I, uh I drink more like good coffee, good beer, you know, like stuff stuff that, that brings me joy. I buy I buy nice cheese from the cheese market, like a really old man. But you know, um I think, yeah, like like over the years, discovering those, you know, finding out what what, getting to know yourself basically, and getting to know what brings you joy and what doesn't is 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 very important and. I, yeah, I feel, I feel very like glad to have, to have got to a point where I do sort of understand my own brain in a way that maybe I didn't as a, as an early 20 something.
0: Speaking of understanding your own brain, what's something that doesn't matter to you? What's something that's not a priority?
1: Well, so that, that, um, that is exactly the sort of thing I was, I'm talking about. I, I used it, especially when I worked in, um, in, journalism and i i did a lot of culture stuff so i was writing a lot about music about uh film and tv about books um and celebrities stuff like that I, I think i i used to really i used to be very aware of whether i seemed cool or not and whether my interests especially in the cultural space um were cool and i just don't care about that anymore so i'm a, i'm a huge i i talked about rubbish films earlier I'm, I'm a huge lover of um disney uh disney films marvel films um so sort i of what what especially in the in the superhero film space what people would probably describe as like trash culture um i love rom-coms um sort of the, the more rubbish the better and i like you know i i like listening to uh music you know i some of the music i listen to is probably quite cool some of it is from musicals (laughs) and some of it is um you know peter gabriel um and i think it's about i i've learned to stop prioritizing whether what i'm consuming um from a cultural standpoint is you know something that i would happily share on my social media and say like i've discovered this cool new band um as opposed to like what actually brings me brings me joy and it 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 goes back to what we were saying about um that sort of cultural hierarchy and about reading versus film and stuff like that i think it's just like if i want to you know if it's a sunday afternoon and i want to read and you know sit back in an armchair with a glass of red wine and read wuthering heights then i could do that But also if it's a Sunday afternoon and I want to eat chocolate and watch Pretty Woman, that's also fine. You know, I, I think whatever, um, whatever suits you. And I think you you don't need to feel like you are some cultural arbiter, some, some sort of like a amazing, um, cool, uh on tr- I, I, I don't wanna say the word on trend because it makes me sound like super super old but like i don't i don't i don't care about being trendy anymore and i think being a um being a journalist you feel like you have to be trendy but being being an author you can you can really relax into being a sort of busty old old man before your time
0: <laughs> i think both of those sundays sound amazing to be fair
1: yeah like I mean, definitely. to be fair, that, that made it sound that I did make it sound like Pretty Woman is a bad film. But Pretty Woman is is a good film. Um, good film? Yeah.
0: What's something you'd like to prioritize more?
1: <clears throat> I think this this goes back to what I was saying about men, and once again, I don't want to generalize too much, but definitely from my own experience, I'm not very good at um, maintaining not even maintaining friendships because it's not like I've sort of, you know, shed a lot of, a lot of people when, when they, a lot of men, when they reach 30, start sort of shedding friends. And and that is true. You, I think uh, you lose a lot of your, your peripheral friends definitely. But I, I think a bigger problem is not remaining as close with the friends who you are close with. So something that I'm trying to prioritize now is, is just, messaging friends uh say you know messaging friends and saying how are you which sounds like a normal thing and probably is a lot more natural i I know it's definitely more natural to to my wife with her friends they'll, they'll just say how are you but like it's weird it feels really weird as a man to 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 message a male friend without like a reason um or to hang out without getting blind drunk being the this sort of end goal I think it's um I, I I was listening to I actually I there's a there's an author called Michael Pederson who did a, a, a great book called boyfriends um last year um, and that's all about male friendship um and he said that this really fa- this thing that absolutely fascinated me that w- the idea that men can't really hang out without a prop Uh, so whether that's like playing football or having a pint at the pub, um, I think it's really interesting, this sort of idea that it's like the masculine way of, of doing things is, is to, to sort of have like a shield of some sort between, between you and your, your friends. So I think something that I really try and prioritize now is, is having male friends, uh, you know, close, close male friends where I can talk to them and hang out with them without, you know, barriers and it, it it just sort of being like nice, nice friendships, uh, where, you know, people don't feel like they have to hide anything and where you, where you feel like you can actually talk about your emotions, which, you know, for, for men of, of my generation, and every generation before has felt like something that you don't do, you know, and, and even, even myself, I, I, I think of myself as a as a fairly modern uh, man who is in touch with his emotions, but it's still, it still feels quite weird to, to, you know, talk to talk honestly with, with uh, the men in my life about anything remotely serious. Um, I think you're, you're much more comfortable just cracking jokes and then, and then, you know, talking to, I'll, I'll talk to my wife about serious stuff, but I, I won't talk to my male friends about it. And I think that's, that's unfair, both because it's like a it's sort of you're emotionally unloading on on uh the women in your life and then and then, you know saving the the jokes for the men. And I think that's a really old fashioned way of doing things. So I think just being embodying a more a more modern masculinity, especially especially in terms of, of friendship, is is something I'd I'd really like to do. And that starts with just being able to Ask your friends how they are, which sounds like such a low bar to clear, but it is—you know—it's the—it's the—it's the first step.
0: Yeah, I mean, I hear this from my husband. I hear it from so many men and women, you know, because life is yep. really demanding as well. I think is the other yes. modern lives are really demanding, and it is that idea of okay, I can only prioritize so much. I can only put so many things first. So often, friendships, as you get older, slip down.
1: Yeah. And I think everyone has a tendency nowadays, especially uh, to vent, you know, so like every conversation will be someone will message someone else and it will be, you know, like, because they want to complain about something that's going on and then, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get it out of their system. And then, you know, next time the other person will message and then complain about something. And it's, you know, I think really carving that time out to just like, you know, shoot the shit, just sort of chat mm-hmm. chat about nothing in particular is, is quite important.
0: Yeah, just generally being there for one another.
1: Yeah, and, and not just when you need something.
0: Yeah, the more monotonous day-to-day stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Coming on from that, I'd like to end by asking you about this egg box. That you've created.
1: <laughs> well, I actually, I didn't. I didn't know about the the egg box. My publisher sent it to me as a surprise, and and they. Um. So my publisher headline it published Isaac and the Egg. Um. I think they they noticed that a lot of people were were coming away from the book. Um. And classing it as a book about you know about hope. It's it's quite a dark book, but I I like to think it's got about as happy an ending as it as it can have in the in the circumstances um and if not a happy ending then at least a hopeful one so my publishers asked readers who who like the book to send in messages of hope which i have been um taking out of the what we've called hashtag that egg box uh and sort of sharing on social media and i think especially at this time of year with this kind of when they're outside it's it's been a Nice experience it's brought me some hope, which is, um, which is amazing. And I think, you know, having, having people connect with the story in that way has been really special too, because, you know, it's nice to put a smile on someone's face, um, <laughs> at the, at the, at the very core of it. And it's, it's, it's been really amazing to, to feel like people have connected with it on an emotional level because all, all my favorite books and stuff like that, that's how I feel about them. So being on the other side of that is a, is a really special experience.
0: Do you have any ones that you remember that you can say to us now?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I there was one, and I think it was it was a quote, although I can't remember who it was by. um, But it was think it it was sort of something like step back and think if uh, the problem, what's bothering you today, will be a problem in a month's time. Um, And I thought that was that was a really clever one because I. I really worry about the little things, you know, I, I, I worry about, um, sort of like always oh, is, is I, I, I always, I'm, I'm a classic dog owner. I always like look at him I'm like, is he acting weird today? Is he okay? Is he fine? Is he is he breathing? Um, and then I'll be like, Oh, I'm really worried that, um, the car has to go in for an MOT tomorrow. And then the next day I'll be like, Oh, I haven't talked to so-and-so in a while. I hope they don't hate me. Uh, and I think every, I, I, I have such a tendency to feel like everything is the end of the world and then not think about it the next day. So that, that was a, that was a nice quote to read because I think it's something I'd love to implement is, you know, really thinking about the bigger picture and thinking like, is this a real worry or is it a worry for the sake of having a worry? And that, that, um, that quote actually ended with then eat chocolate, which I think is also a good, a good piece of advice.
0: Very good advice yeah absolutely. So much of the stuff that we worry about really doesn't have any big significance on our life. And often it's actually the smaller stuff that we get very stressed about. yeah. you know you get stressed about someone cutting you up in traffic and you're really annoyed mm-hmm. for the rest of the day. and then that impacts how you treat yourself and other people, where again, you wouldn't even remember that in a month.
1: I think in a in a lot of cases, they're sort of proxy worries. So I'll find myself getting really stressed and worried about um little things like that you know um like a a a, yeah like exactly like a road rage (laughs) incident or like um you know getting a stain on a new pair of shoes or something and and what i'm actually worried about is that um you know like my my book isn't going the way i I planned it or i i don't feel like i've made enough money this month or yeah or or you know someone in my life is having a hard time Um, and it's like, you, you almost don't have the, the scope and the capacity to worry about the big things. So you just put it on all the, all the little things. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's inescapable, but I think, um, just trying to, trying to think, you know, trying to take a step back and think like, what am I actually, what's actually making me feel like this? And then addressing it, whether that's talking to that person or, you know, going out for a walk. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, 100%. I actually wrote a column about this on my Substack about a month or two ago, which was exactly that, which was I was so angry about something. And it was clear, clearly nothing to do with that. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> that was totally unreasonable. All right. To actually finish, you said you want to prioritize your friends more. What are you going to do today or tomorrow? What steps can you take? <laughs> you want to make a little mental list of the people you want to reach out to, or the ways in which you want to reach out to them.
1: Yes, I'm going to send at least one of my friends a message today, and just say hello, how are you? And I'm going to see a few of them on the weekend, and we're going to go. We're going to go swimming in a Hampstead men's pond, which is something I've never done before. But that's that's a nice intersection of of male friendship and time outside not yes, that i'm taking all sort of
0: the <laughs> mental health benefits of really cold yes. water swimming well, I,
1: I actually i actually am one of those people that everyone likes everyone says they like cold water swimming except me and i've for many years tried to make it like one of those things where i go like oh i feel great from it and and it's such a good thing for my mental health and it's it's so refreshing and actually i, I hate it <laughs> i really <laughs> hate it so i'm doing it because i'm being forced. But yeah.
0: I was going to say, you haven't swum in <laughs> ponds before. You I, I, I haven't in a while because the kids, but I used to swim in the ponds a lot. And you're choosing to swim in them for the first time in January, which feels like a really strong move.
1: Yeah, I think, I, I mean, it is it, probably going to be the first and last time. Mm. Enjoy. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> thank you.
0: All right, Bobby. Thank you so much for talking to us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of Priorities, I'd really appreciate it if you could make it your priority today to hit subscribe and also rate and review, as this helps other people find it. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.